You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome. To the Sports Media Podcast, I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Um, I'm not going to, I don't know if we call this a mini pod, but it certainly will be shorter than some of the other pods that I have done. But I have, uh, I have veterans of the mini pod game on this one. So let's call it a roundtable, a short roundtable with Sports Business Journal Managing Editor slash Digital Austin Carp and John Lewis, the editor and founder of Sports Media Watch. Austin and John, welcome. Thanks for having us. Grizzled veterans by this point. I know. Grizzled. All right. Um, it's not the Marshan and Carp report yet, is it? Or is that still to be determined? It is not. It is not. I'm I'm, I'm an observer. Um, okay. So let's start with um, let's start with Peacock um, in terms of our discussion point for. I mean, I can't believe you'd be listening to this podcast and sort of not know this, but uh, for maybe the one or two of you who don't, Peacock um, paid $110 million to the NFL for the exclusive rights to stream a playoff game. And so Peacock ended up with the Chiefs and the Dolphins. And while that game was pretty mundane, if you were a neutral, the numbers for the game for Peacock were really, really strong. They averaged 23 million viewers, at least according to Nielsen Fast Nationals. That number beats the lowest watched wild card game last year uh, in terms of linear. It tops the Cowboy Seahawks Amazon game for the most streamed NFL game of all time. And then finally, as I'll turn over to you, John Lewis, what we don't know, of course, is how many people bought it versus how many people watched who already had Peacock, how many of those people who actually bought it will churn out after a month. But while I don't particularly like it, while I think it's obviously a money grab, I think if you're going to be sort of objective and look at it as a business proposition, I think this was a very, very successful day for Peacock in the NFL. How did you see it? I would agree with that. I think you know the measure of success here is different than it would normally be for the NFL because Yes, viewership was up from last year, but last year's game set a pretty low bar. It was the uh, uh, the, uh, the the Chargers Jaguars game, not really that interesting, even with the big comeback. Uh, and the reality is that it's still one of the lesser watched wild card games in the past twenty years. I mean, you know, bottom twenty, which is not that bad, but still. Uh, but of course. The NFL knew going in that it was going to be sacrificing audience to do this and to be able to get 23 million viewers anyway. I mean, I thought it could be in the teens. So to get 23 million viewers is 
is an incredible uh, feat for the NFL. It's great for Peacock. Not great for the 10 or so million viewers who were, would probably have been tuning in otherwise and had to miss the game, but ultimately for the NFL and uh, for, for, for NBC, an unqualified success. Austin, big picture for you on this? I think it is a win. I think they set themselves up for success and they achieved that. Like you said, 23 million Nielsen plus Adobe Analytics plus whatever magic it was thrown in to create that number these days. And that's everybody. It's it's not just in this particular one. But uh, it sets them up to sell it for even more money next time because as part of the NFL media deal, they get to sell one wild card a game a season. And that's not it's going to go for way more than 110 million next time. They cherry picked a very popular game in it, regardless of what the score was. Once people signed up, they were probably going to stick around whatever the score was because they already paid for Peacock for the month. Now, the question is, you know, for Peacock, can they retain viewers, especially big, you know, casual sports fans between this game and the Paris Olympics? They got the Premier League. They have, you know, male skewing things like Oppenheimer coming, which they advertise a lot during the game. So what's the churn rate going to be? I think that's particularly important to pay attention to uh, for all streaming platforms, just to see what this sort of big audience game was able to deliver in terms of subscribers that stayed with the platform. So let, that's a great question. Listen, we've all written about this. I've, I've, you know, I wrote a long story on the Peacock game, uh, then a short newser after the game. And in talking to Rick Cordella, who's the president of NBC Sports, John, he had said that like his first goal was to make the production <clears throat> a quality production. Second goal was obviously to make sure that the tech worked and that there weren't like mass outages. And then after that, they got into like the idea of metrics and how many people bought, how many people would stick around. What would be interesting, and I don't know if we'll ever get this number, right, is like how many new subscriptions did they get from this? The churn is, as Austin mentioned, is something separate, but that's the one I'd love to know is like, because if it's like they got 8 million new subscribers, I'm just making this up, right? Or 5 million new subscribers. Well, some of those people are going to stay with Peacock after this month. If it turns out it's like 1 million or, or a small number, well, then they paid a lot of money, I think, from really for the most part, just for marketing and nothing else. Um, do you agree with sort of that thinking? And in, in some ways, some of the success sort of really depends on how many new subscriptions they got. And I don't know when and if we'll get that number. I mean, that's a question that Brian Roberts is going to get, right? During Comcast's next earnings call, like, all right, like, what's Peacock at? And then the first question from an analyst is going to be related to to this, to this moment. Like, what'd you get? How many people left? And I th- a really interesting statistic I saw, I think it was from somebody, I think Parrot Analytics, uh, about, like, during the Olympics last time, the number of people that signed up just during that Olympic period and then left, the, the rate was much higher than what it normally is, you know, based on signing up for a sporting event. So, yeah, I am interested to see that. John? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, as Austin said, we will, we, you know, Comcast will know. And I do think we'll see at least, you know, an elevated number the next time there's an earnings report. I don't think it'll still be $28 million. Uh, And uh, the reality is that is the measure of success, in my view. I mean, what's the point? Of spending 110 million dollars on a single NFL game, unless you're going to get, uh, you know, a, a, a significant bump in subscriptions out of it, uh, the reality is that's they could have paid that same amount of money for all of the NCAA's non-men's basketball championships 
which, you know, over the long term, you know, gives you programming throughout the year. So if, you, if you're going to spend that kind of money on one game, you'd better get something to show for it afterward. Yeah, by the way, I mentioned that the Hillary Mandel and Karen Brockin were my guests prior to you two. So if you want, if you're interested in that NCAA deal with ESPN, check that out. There, uh, they they were excellent. Just for a point of order, uh, Peacock says it has 30 million subscribers. John, as of now, um, subscriptions up 75 percent over the last year. A big number, and this is a just crazy to think about. There, the platform is at two was at 2.8 billion in losses in 2023. So Comcast is obviously hoping that that's peak losses, but man, Austin, you know your publication obviously covers this about as good as anything. I mean, that's this is you know this isn't me being uh, Warren Buffett. That's not sustainable. Um, so the question is like, looking long term, can they get it to the point where they can make money? Which you know it feels like they'd have to get double those subscribers. Or, and I think this is inevitable, and it, you know, smarter people than me have said this, it just looks like we're eventually going to be looking to an, a consolidation era where you know either a Peacock sort of combines with another streamer or there's some kind of setup where, like the cable bundle, you can buy all of these basically. And then I'm making this up, but like you know, 150 million people have the quote-unquote streaming bundle. I think it's a combination of what you just talked about. <clears throat> I think it is a rebundling and it's definitely going to be, you know, a merger of some of these platforms because you don't need that many. You just don't. And the way that the economics of some of these companies are already set up. Yeah. You could see a future where it's max and paramount or it's peacock and parent, you know, some sort of permutation of a merger there. It's, it's going to be both though, but we're not going to see fewer games on streaming services, we're going to see more and more big time games. And I'm sure this was the conversation that was being had 25, 30 years ago when games first started going to cable. Like, oh my God, I can't believe a big game is, or a package is going to ESPN. Like this is the future. I mean, there will be more and more big time events that are streaming platform only. So let me get to you, John Lewis, because this is interesting. You know, the, the, I agree with Austin, obviously I do think we're going to get more big games on streaming, but the real question is, what, what what is this going to mean for the NFL? A one thousand percent agree with Austin, um, as I wrote this week. It, it, there is no way that the NFL is not going to repeat this next year. Like it, there, it's just you are fooling yourself if you don't think there's not going to be another uh, streaming playoff exclusive game. I don't know if it'll be on Peacock. You know, maybe it will. Maybe it's on Amazon. But it's going to happen. There's they don't go backwards. There's no way that's not going to happen. The real question for me, John is how much does the NFL ultimately do this? Because that's where you do get into a little bit of a interesting discussion regarding how much the public will accept it. Because the NFL is really the one sport where the, the, the public almost demands availability. I haven't even mentioned Congress. Let's forget about just, you know, some congressmen just going out there for some social media kind of run. Um you know, the NFL puts too much stuff behind a paywall. I, I do wonder if Congress starts to think about it. So that to me is like the, the interesting calculation. You know, the NFL talks about reach. They talk about that they want all their games available. Yes, they're all available in these local markets. But at the same time, they know that there's this big revenue source sitting out there. So let's just play it out. Like we'll game it out a little bit. Three years from now, John Lewis, how many games you think, how many postseason games you think are behind a streaming paywall? Well, Two at the most. You have to keep in mind you have these six wild card games. There's 
one for each of the major networks. And then NBC and CBS have a number of contractually mandated years where they have two games. Uh, I have no idea if Fox has any two game years as well, uh, but NBC and CBS do. So, you know, that might be an artifact of when they first started the uh, two, the, the six game wildcard weekend. NBC and CBS won the two extra games uh, in, 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 that, uh, in that year. But basically, most years down the line, there'll only be one game available to sell to a streaming service. I think you'll see, as you said, Amazon's got to get one. If you're Amazon, you have to be wondering why we didn't get this one to begin with uh, that, that aired on Peacock. So Amazon probably gets it next year because there'll only be one game available because uh, CBS has two wild card games. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll see Amazon and Peacock sometimes, you know, maybe Amazon and Paramount Plus, uh, maybe ESPN Plus gets one. You know, I definitely think that extra wildcard game every year will probably cycle through a number of streaming services, but you'll still see at worst four games on linear and in most years five. Yeah, I, I agree with John. I only think it's going to be one because of the contractual obligations, at least during, you know, this media deal, unless there's, there's some sort of renegotiation. But ESPN Plus is an interesting one, especially in the light of the talks that the NFL is having with ESPN and Disney. Like, what does that broader deal in NFL media look like? What does the investment by the NFL into ESPN look like? Is 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 that, you know, giving them that ESPN Plus wildcard game every season? Is, is, is a broader regular season package. So I think there's a lot of unknowns on that deal as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously we've already entered a world where the NFL is on a streaming platform. Amazon has those games every Thursday. Um, so you guys have good insight. Definitely next year we'll get at least one. I'll be curious. I don't think I'll, I'll you know, maybe I'll eat these words. I don't think during the course of our, well, I shouldn't say you guys, during the course of my writing career on this stuff by the way which could end tomorrow who the hell knows um we're not going to see like a super bowl or anything like that like a pay-per-view style thing like that i just the nfl is not going to do that but i do think to austin's excellent point there are going to be some things that go behind a streamer that we have traditionally been used to on linear television and other sports I, that that stuff is coming and then pay attention obviously to the nba deal where there absolutely will be a streaming service part of that, and there will be games, I think postseason games, quite frankly, um, that go behind that. Austin brought up, um, or one of you guys brought up, the um, the the news that Andrew Marshan of the Post first brought uh, first broke about a the NFL getting some kind of equity stake in ESPN. Seems like you know, based on you know reporting that. I did and that others did, you know, we're still a little bit of a ways possibly behind this actually coming to fruition, but it's very, very clear that like talks have been underway. Bob Iger said that he, that the company Disney is looking for people to um, buy an equity stake in ESPN. If it turns out to be the NFL, obviously that opens up a lot of questions and a lot of opportunity. So let me go to you, Austin. If, this does eventually sort of happen and the NFL network and red zone sort of become part of the, the Disney family. The, I get how I see it is just that like, I think they would still have this sort of in a, in a separate silo, like within the whole universe versus like 
the notion that somehow like the NFL network and ESPN's NFL coverage would morph together, right? Don't you? It, it feels like it would be something like, uh, like, like the Big Twelve on e, on ESPN Plus, like a yeah, yeah, so, or yeah, the SEC network or like the Longhorn network, uh, it, or the way like maybe the Big Ten network sort of has a relationship with Fox. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I see it. How do you again? If it does it come could, to fruition, how do you see it? It could go that way, but it. You start thinking about it. It's like, is ESPN then, if they if they buy this, are they then competing against themselves? Yes. They, the both networks carry the NFL draft. I mean, do you want? Do you still want NFL Game Day Morning going up against Sunday NFL Countdown? There, there's just so much. There's competition year in and year out that NFL Network puts out in direct competition with what ESPN is doing on their programming and their shoulder programming and original. Documentary yeah, series. Yeah, you know they partner so, in their buddies when it comes to the NFL draft. Now I feel like that competition is l- less about competition, don't you think, and more about collaboration in some ways? It could be, and especially if you just think about it as you know, just another simulcast, and you have one audience. You're not competing. Oh, here's what NFL Network did versus ESPN. It's just one audience, anyways. What about you, John? How do you, if again, if this thing, we'll get to the journalism part in a second, but if this thing comes to fruition as a business play, um. You know, I mean, you can obviously understand why both entities want this. If you're ESPN or you're for Disney, I should say, because it's a corporate thing, you know, you're getting a lot more eyeballs into your universe from the NFL network, from Red Zone, et cetera. And if you're the NFL, obviously, well, you got a stake in ESPN, um, which, you know, could theoretically provide you revenue. Also, let's not, I mean, this is the reality of this. They've been looking to unload NFL media forever. I think they just want to get out of the, let's pay for, um, sort of media game. So they, they would get some cost-cutting leverage there. Yeah, but I also think it creates a lot of complications as well. I mean, once you're partnering with one of your you know partners, the other partners might have an issue with that, especially, let's say, the Monday Night Football schedule gets really good. I mean, it's already pretty good. If that, if that supplants Sunday Night Football, how is NBC going to feel about that? Uh, you know, Uh, The point Austin brought up about the competition, I I don't think that's as big a problem because ESPN already competes with itself in so many ways. They've got, you know, they've got college game day on their main networks, but they've got their little SEC nation. I know that's not much of an audience, but since the SEC network isn't Nielsen rated, those viewers are being taken away from game day and they're not even being accounted for anywhere. So ESPN, you know, they, 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 I, I don't think there'll be a problem having game day morning compete with Sunday countdown. Uh, but I, I do think that for the NFL, you know, you could potentially irritate the other partners who are paying, you know, collectively uh, quite a bit of money for those rights. Yeah, good point. Um, all right, John, I want to stick with you on this. Um, what do you think this means potentially for ESPN's um, journalism efforts when it comes to the NFL? All of us have been around long enough to remember playmakers and how ticked off the uh, the league was at ESPN's dramatic presentation of the NFL. I mean, I don't think he has been called the NFL, but I think we all knew it was, you know, the big one obviously was league of denial when it, when it came to that reporting by Mark Fenerwada and Steve Fenneru and how uh, PBS and ESPN, if I remember correctly, uh, they agreed to collaborate in the project and ESPN dropped out. I mean, that was an absolute mess when it came to ESPN's relationship with the NFL regarding ESPN's reporting on concussions. You know, Jimmy Pitaro came in, and really, you know, um, exhibit A, B, C, and D, uh, and goal A, B, C, and D was to sort of reestablish that relationship, which they obviously have done. Monday Night Football has become 
got a great schedule. ABC's now doing the games. My sort of big picture take here is that, like, I, there's the great reporters, obviously, at ESPN unquestionably, and they'll still do reporting on the NFL. It, it wouldn't eliminate all of that. But I do think once you get that relationship that kind of close and you become an equity partner, um, I do think, like, you're basically telling the market that business is far more important than editorial. And the fact is, business can make you a lot more money than journalism. Um, so it's not – it would not be a good – it would not be a good day for journalism and ESPN, in my opinion, but I also am, I think, sober enough to realize that in many ways, that's really not what Disney is looking to do heading forward. They want to make money. How do you see it? Well, I mean, I think the, the you know, the, the writing has been on the wall at ESPN for a long time, uh, as far as that goes. Um, you know, outside the lines barely exists, you know. They, 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 ESPN is already in a position where they're not going to report anything negative about the NFL unless they absolutely have to. If there is real news, like important news, they will report negatively. They will, you know, use Don Van Natta, Seth Wickersham, uh, who I assume are still working there. I mean, I, I think Don Van Natta is, uh, they just, but they just posted a really excellent story on the, the end of the Belichick, uh, run. Right. And, but, you know, the kind of stuff that you were talking about, Playmakers obviously was never going to happen again anyway. But, you know, something like League of Denial, there's no way ESPN would get involved in that. It'd be very interesting. No chance. Not, not, in my, not, with, not with great depth and cross multi, multi platform kind of heft. I, I agree with you. I just, that, that, those days I think are, are over. Um, you know, I, and you're, you make a great point. Like, uh, you know, one thing about ESPN PR is they sort of like never they don't push back anymore on like where they used to when you know I'd write stuff about outside they were gutting outside the lines and they'd say not true where you know it's now it's now fancy Saturday program now it's just you know now it's a multi platform uh, project but um, you're dead on on that Austin how do you sort of see this and the fact that if the ESPN does partner with the NFL or partners with the NBA or partners with the NHL you know what one of these leagues I just think. You know, once you become formal partners, the the editorial is different. In many ways, the editorial becomes about the transactions. Always, they'll always write about the players. There's no issue there. They'll always write about the coaches. Even getting a little bit into ownership, but I don't know. I don't. It's the investigative journalism. Yeah. yeah. Where Where is that going right. to come from? Yeah. If it's, if it's not going to come from, you know, what many have considered the you know the preeminent sports outlet of the last thirty years, ESPN. If you're not getting that level of investigative journalism anymore, yeah, like wh- where's it going to come from in the sports world? It's it's a very fine it has line. To come from the in- has to come come from the independent place. I mean, the 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 reality of this, the sad reality of this, and I think the three of us know this is that kind of stuff costs a lot of money, and and it's hard to make the money on it. Do you know what I mean? It it's like it, yeah. it the 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 investment is for the public good. The investment is not necessarily for profit. And I think the sad reality is like, I think ESPN has learned that, right? It's just, it's a, you can make a lot more money to do a, um, you know, sort of a debate like show than you can doing outside the lines. That's just like the rea- it sucks, but that's the reality of the marketplace. And they're a for-profit business. They're not, they're not the CBC. They're not the BBC. No, those those sort of pieces used to be the water cooler talk among sports fans and, now it's 
what custom jacket Taylor Swift was wearing during the Chiefs game. Or it's more like, you know, I think it's more like what quarterback do you take, like, number one overall? A lot of that, too, yeah. Or who's going to replace Belichick in in New England? Um, but that is, you know, to be fair to ESPN, that is not an ESPN thing. Like, like, like that is a, in many ways, an American society. No, well, that's what fans want. They're give, In that case, those sorts of things, speculation on who's going where in the draft and who's going to be coaching who and hot stove this, hot stove that. Fans CNN is going to do right. CNN is going to do far more horse race stuff, right? Trump v. Biden. Yeah. Then they will um, any kind of like in depth look at like our relationship with NATO. Do you know what I mean? Because like one is going to draw viewers and eyeballs, and one's not. John, before we get off this topic, you want to add anything? Well, you know, I do wonder what what how something like say Ray Rice would be covered and handled today, right? We're ten years out from that. That seems like it's from a completely different era of it's still a, it's still life. a player. That's still a player story, though. So I think they would do that, don't you? Well, it was a player story, but really it was a Goodell story. I mean, Goodell people wanted him to resign. It became this huge thing where you know Goodell was public enemy number one. Uh, you know, you had people building their profile, asking him really tough questions, and to me, you know, I don't really know that something similar could happen today i mean you never know but i i think that the all that stuff that happened from about 2014 to about 2018 uh, the tail end really from 2013 with the concussion movie to 2018 where people were really coming at the league and the owners and goodell in a very sustained very critical way uh certainly hasn't happened in the five years since and i don't see it happening again for a while you hear a lot less criticism of Goodell on the places that are aligned with the NFL um, in the last couple of years. Again, I, I'm not saying that people wouldn't criticize. I, I don't know if they'd criticize him on the NFL network. Let's just be honest. Uh, so I'm not saying it's just not the case 100%, but I am with you, John. It's it's um, it's reduced, and, and Ray Rice's situation – that would be interesting to see how that would play in 2024 um, in terms of – Where I think it's going to come, Richard, is I think you know we're going to have a big bad sports betting story. I don't know. In some league sometime in the future where it looks, where it looks really bad yeah. on a league and ESPN is going to have to report on it and they're tied up. With, and if it's – I, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to single out any league. It could happen to any league, but, you know, ESPN is very tied into all of these leagues. So, yeah. And they have their own betting platform. I think they will report on it, but we'll see. Um, I think that'd be too big not to. But, uh, you know, a, a lot of it also has to do with like how the reporting is, right? And what happens. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All right, two more quick topics here, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Nick Saban. I don't want to get you guys' take on this. It, Austin, it seems to me that uh, <laughs> I, I, if, uh, you know, if you can make these prop bets in Vegas, speaking of gambling, I, I would bet nearly – well, I'm not going to bet all my financial holdings on anything. But I would bet a lot of money that Nick Saban is an ESPN employee in the next couple of months. Um, and then the real question would be whether Nick is interested in like doing the game day circuit and traveling versus um, Nick in a air-conditioned studio somewhere opining on football or Nick – uh, doing one of uh, you know a big big game of the week as a as an on-site game analyst. What's your thought about that? But just I just I I can't see Nick Saban not working for ESPN. It seems like a fait accompli. Well, I think it's what you said. It's what Nick wants. If Nick wants to work game day, they'll figure it out. If he wants to just be a studio analyst, they'll figure it out. Um, if he wants to call games on ESPN, they'll figure it out. But if if Nick just wants to sit by his lake house and enjoy retirement, then that's what he'll do. Uh, he, he's in the driver's seat, but it makes a lot of sense on ESPN. Uh, he's done it before, and I think it would be a natural spot. This is the silliest question of all time. Okay, If Nick Saban wanted to host around the horn, would they get rid of Tony Reale and put Nick Saban in there? I want to know how much. I want to know how much they want Nick Saban. <laughs> how, much, how much sway does he have? I'm sure Tony Reale, if you asked him, would be like, yeah, Nick Saban can have <laughs> I don't think they would do that. I think they keep real. But like the sort of the joke is like, you know, how far like they really want Nick, but I don't know, just making this up like what if Nick wants to call uh, Monday night football? Like would they kick Joe Buck out of there? No, I'm, there's probably limits to it, but I'm with you Austin. I think basically Oh, he has a certain personality. Yeah, yeah. You you ask Nick what he wants on certain platforms. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you ask Nick what he wants. But it's what he wants to do. Yeah. What does he want? What to do you want to do in college football, Nick? And and make and 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 ESPN will figure that out. John, I wanted to give you a uh, a, a shot at this. What's your sort of uh, what's your what's your take on Nick Saban? Well, I mean, I think obviously, as as has been said, whatever role he wants, he can have. Uh, game day would obviously be you know, the ideal for ESPN, but I don't know that his vibe works for game well, day. I think it could because uh, I think there's nobody else like that on set. That's kind of why I think it worked. Yeah, McAfee, sort of Energizer Bunny, going nuts. Reese Davis, you know, total professional host. Herb Street and, and Desmond Howard, uh, sort of our infrastructure guys, they've been there a long time. You don't think like sort of a Saban would be an interesting counterpart to McAfee? They're very different, so I think that could work. That's my thought. Well, you know, it could also be oil and water, right? And, and one thing He's I also on McAfee. That, Keep in yes. mind, they, got a, they have a relationship. Oh. oh, okay. Well, you know, that's, that's on me for not watching enough Pat McAfee's show. But uh, I would say ESPN has quietly put together a, re- a really good top-level in-studio team with Nagandi and Booger McFarland on ABC. And, you know, that's that's the old John Saunders role that, that he had for many, many years. That's their A1 studio. And with the SEC, 
that studio is going to have a higher profile. They're going to be doing better games on ABC in the middle of the day where it'll be Nagandi and Booger McFarland in the studio. And maybe Nick Saban is a good fit for that because that's going to be an SEC game every week. I like that a lot. That's very smart. Right, look at that, Austin. That actually, John Lewis could be a programmer because that really would, that's a good fit. That's already a good show. I think Booger's great. Uh, I'm a big Nagani guy. Um, I, I, I will say just because of the high profile nature, if I was, I, I think that this, I think at the Saban level, it's going to be Jimmy Pitaro and Burke Magnus kind of talking to him, uh, dealing with that kind of talent. I, I would try to push him to game day. I just think you'd get so much mileage out of that. I think you could sell that as a marketing play, like Nick Saban coming to your campus. And you got to admit, with all the uh, with all the publicity that Fox uh, Big Noon Kickoff has gotten, and with the fact that they've gotten some viewership uh, pops, Austin, I think they would love to like counter that. You know, they had their they own that thing forever, and now Fox has come up with. Well, again, you know the numbers better than me. Fox isn't beating them. But at least they're in the conversation in terms of viewership. So they're making strides. Yeah, yeah. I think they would love to sort of send Saban out to all these different places because I think that would give game day such a it would give people it would be college football curiosity seekers would want to hear what Nick had to say Saturday morning. That's my take. No, absolutely. I think in the in the same way, people are going to want to listen to Tom Brady when he's calling his first games. Uh, there's definitely an intrigue factor on what he would say, but I think it's just. I think he's figuring out what he wants to do. And like you said, it's going to be at the highest levels of ESPN, talking to Sexton, talking to Saban on what he wants to do and what kind of role he wants to have if he wants to do it. Yep. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, final topic. We'll get out of here really quick on this. Um, I'm curious about how you guys see sort of Pat McAfee and ESPN playing out over the in the near term over the next six months. Um, again, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows I, uh, <laughs> I, I say it because I'm laughing, but it's true. I historically align with talent battling Norby Williamson. I think that's been my MO. So I, you know, I, I generally will align with anybody who sort of is not aligning with Norby. Um, that said, um, you know, I think McAfee has a responsibility to call out some of Aaron Rodgers' non-football bullshit if he's sort of on his show, even though Pat has uh, creative control and guest booking. I mean, it goes without saying, Pat McAfee has not been canceled. Uh, you know, he's he's got he's got Burke Magnus and and uh, and Jimmy Pitaro, uh supporting him, and he's going to be there. Uh, I've written a lot about McAfee. I actually like how. What he has done for his staff, I know he's an incredibly loyal guy, and he's built a he's built an empire there. That said, still working for ESPN, you're still working for a quote unquote legacy uh, outlet. Even though you have more leverage if you're Pat McAfee, which he certainly does, you know there are lines that that all these places have. I would think things will calm down for a little bit, Austin, and um, you know we're not gonna. I, no, I don't think anything's going to happen again and if anything happens again until the fall. I just I think my sense is that things will calm down a little bit, but man, have I been wrong about ESPN before. 
Um, so let me just ask you in the short term. You know, obviously it's kind of a silly question because McAfee's got a four and a half years left or whatever on his contract. But over the next six to eight months, you, you think the relationship is is fine with McAfee, or do you think we can be getting into some crazy waters again? I, I think they're going to. I think cooler heads will prevail. I think they'll ride it out, let it calm down. We'll get out of football season. It won't be as pronounced because he's not going to be on the show. Roger's not going to be on the show anyways, and it's just a natural let it let let it get out of people's memories, and we'll see what it's like next football season. But that's a long time for now, and I think they'll just ride it out for now. Yeah. What about you, John? As we get out of here on this, I I feel the same. I mean, you know, Pat owes it to himself more than anything to lay low a little bit and not have the show be making you know big headlines beyond just talking about the games. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think it's always good to have a big celebrity, a big you know, a public figure like Aaron Rodgers on your show. But if you're in a position where you are constantly having to clean up stuff with him and deal with all of the, you know, the the offended editorials and all of these things because he's on your show. You know, I mean, it's your show. I mean, it's the Pat McAfee show, not the Aaron Rodgers show. And really, more than anything, he owes it to himself to not have to deal with that. Um as far as ESPN goes going forward, you know, Pat's bigger than ESPN, same way Stephen A is, uh, and, and, and he knows that. And it was very smart, risky, but smart of him to take on Norby uh, because, I mean, I think the idea, Pat's built this thing himself, and the idea of having some network executive undermining <laughs> him by leaking to the New York Post I mean, it, it's it's it, it's pretty galling if, if you're uh, again, someone like that. Uh, ale- alleged, all alleged. Allegedly. We don't know who leaked. Yes, but yes, that, Those are the those the are the post. allegations. Yeah, the one thing you said there that um that is dead on is Pat McAfee has the leverage here, and he certainly has leverage over Norby Williams unquestionably. But he has leverage over ESPN because it's they license his show, and. And again, this is my interpretation, but I think John Austin agree with me. McAfee would get in a nanosecond if he left ESPN another deal. So in many ways, the star system of ESPN in the 90s and 2000s has changed, where there are some people now at ESPN, you mentioned Stephen A., I agree with him as well, where the company, at least at the moment, needs them more than they need the company. And that's the calculation that all these guys have to sort of make is, is you know, Pataro and Magnus uh, publicly to me and others have made a very, very big bet on McAfee. So they're, they're in. And in many ways, like their, his success um, is, is related to their success because they paid all this money and, and they bet on him. So again, this, you know, I, I'm with Austin. I think things will chill out, particularly just because the football season's almost over. Um, and then we'll see where that goes. Is there anything else uh, that you guys would like to uh, to, uh, to to comment on? I did. I, I I I I don't know if you guys are interested, but the NCAA deal is was fascinating to me that ESPN signed just because um, um, I would have loved to have seen the women's tournament go to market, even though I would have wanted ESPN to get it. Uh, but I, I'm I am. Austin optimistic. I know you, you're a fan of this, these sports too. That ESPN is going to throw some big marketing dollars and weight behind the women's college softballs and the women's softballs and the women's college basketballs. I, I think that's the best home for all those properties, personally. Even though I think ESPN got a pretty good money deal. Yeah, I, I do think that it is it is the best place for them. It is essentially the home for college sports during throughout the entire school year. 
you'll see more promotion. You're going to see more games on ABC, which is important. You've seen that in the last couple of years with championship games. But, I mean, heck, look I mean, in the College World Series and, uh, you know, in some of the women's March Madness games, some of the early round games are getting on ABC now. So I think that was a big win in the last couple of years. It's great exposure for the sports. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what they do during the duration of this new deal. All right, John Lewis, I'll give the final word to you. You can, you can weigh in on this or you can weigh in on something else. Well, I definitely think that the fact that all of those properties went for, you know, about the, the price of a single NFL playoff game, it, you know, it, it gives you some pause about the market because it's not just the women's tournament in basketball that has value. I mean, yes, obviously that is by far the most valuable of those properties, but, you know, the men's college world series got a pretty nice audience last year. I mean, if I'm Fox, that would have been a nice fit you know, with all the baseball they air. Women's College World Series does good numbers uh, uh, typically. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a few properties in there. I mean, even volleyball to an extent, even though it's not as big a draw as those other ones. Uh, we are in a different market. Certainly, I don't think you're getting, you know, I, I know it was only 40 or so million in the previous deal, but, you know, 100 a hundred odd million viewers, excuse me, a hundred odd uh, million in rights fees for this. It, it, it seems like the type of thing that makes you go, hmm, about the state of the market. Uh, similar to the NASCAR deal where they wanted to sell a single six-week package in the middle of the season, had to split it into two five-week packages to get the kind of money they wanted. Makes you wonder what the NBA's uh, heading into coming up in the next couple of months. Well, let me, uh, as we close up here, let me give a shout out to John Lewis, uh, who's uh, site sports media watch is always invaluable but john i really appreciate you put you posting um some of the sports viewership numbers on sort of the daily sports viewership numbers that you do because um you know we we all of us uh have had different sites that have had that over the years you know our buddy robert Simon, the sports tv ratings has done that but now you have taken over the mantle of this publicly outside of those Fancy people like Austin Carp who get who get the Nielsen access uh, delivered. I don't know what you're talking about. Delivered Richard. to their house. So um, <laughs> so this is really good, John. So I appreciate that. Uh, I'm not sure how you're getting those. You shouldn't tell anybody. But the fact that you're able to get you know the daily viewership numbers on ESPN or FS1 or what like a Liga MX game uh, might do on a given night, I, I really appreciate that. That's interesting to me, and I think um, interesting to to a lot more people than you might expect. I'll echo that. Shout out to you, John. I'm doing the work. Thanks, thanks for me on that, John. I appreciate you doing that, and uh, and I'll keep clicking. There is one thing I wanted to, to talk about just here at the end. Like, who is making the programming decision to put the Emmys up against an, an NFL wild card game? Like, wow. Well, this, what a that's terrible. A, decision. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great tell. You know, if we, if we were like the Ringer, we could do an hour on the Emmy broadcast. But I think their fundamental problem is that people are no longer interested in award shows the way they used to be. And I don't know how they can game change that. That's where COVID, I think, destroyed Start by this, not that. going up against the NFL, though. Like 4.6 I know, but, but even so, NFL Austin, network you, you, game. Like, just, just stop it. Yeah. The, the theater experience, well, I guess this is the Emmy, so it's not the theater, but the theater experience, like, doesn't exist the way we existed as kids. And I don't, I think people are just not as into the whole award scene that they used to be i don't like how to okay let's say it doesn't go against the nfl so what would the emmys have done i think you're costing yourself between three and five million viewers at a minimum by doing that i mean but isn't that still you would know this better than me or maybe john lewis would know wouldn't that still be like five six seven million 
viewers less than the Emmys used to get or no, or am I off? Oh, absolutely. It's never going to be what it was, but you, by sacrificing that many viewers, that huge chunk of a potential live audience. Yeah. Just, uh, you can easily avoid it by just go, not going up against an NFL playoff game. But there wouldn't, there wouldn't, there wouldn't the Emmys or whoever programmed that argument be, it's a totally different audience. So we're, we're going to, we're going to counter program. Apparently not. No, I, I disagree. I think you're, you're losing casual fan, casual viewers. By doing that sort of what thing. about you john you got a thought on that well i mean i think you know look ultimately the emmys it's going to be a tough sell in this era of splintered tv uh you know it, the only emmys story i can ever think of in terms of individual actors was when susan lucci wouldn't be wasn't able to win any <laughs> was that the, the was that the same emmys or was that the soap opera emmys i know i guess it's that's probably the, the same daytime, thing right? but the, yeah but that's the only emmys related story i can think of i mean it's not like I mean, only at ESPN do people really care so deeply about the Emmys that they're willing to go and engage in very weird, you know, antics to try to ensure that people get them. I, I, I don't know how meaningful this is to uh, Nathan Fielder or, you know, whoever else is in TV nowadays. Oh, I don't know. I think it's probably, well, shout out to the great Katie Strang, the greatest reporter ever um, at The Athletic. Uh, I, John, I think you're, I think uh, human beings... Uh, who work in creative fields in many ways are narcissists, and they absolutely want awards. Uh, you don't think that you don't think those awards mean something to the actors and the directors? Well, you, those you know that's fair. My God, that's fair. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just don't watch enough regular TV at this point to know who these actors and directors even are, other than because uh, you're getting know. old, John. Yeah, I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching reruns. That's what I'm doing. Austin, uh, have you won a sports Emmy at all? I, I kept wondering why they were sending them to my 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 office every year. It was really weird. But what you know, would I, your fake What would office. your fake Emmy name be? Eric Larp or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Carp, they just wrote Fish. Would your Would it be Mosh Brulowitz or maybe something else? <laughs> All right. Enough time. By the way, I said this was going to be a short podcast. Totally blew it. We're over forty minutes. All right. Uh, John Lewis is, of course, the editor and founder of Sports Media Watch. Austin Carp is the Sports Business Journal Managing Editor slash Digital. I always appreciate their time. Uh, for all our Tom Fool over here, the Peacock story is a big one. Uh, pay attention to that heading forward. And obviously the NFL equity, uh, potential stake, uh, equity stake in the ESPN is a big one too. Those are, those are stories we're going to come back to because they have um, significance far beyond this week. Uh, Austin and John, thank you so much. You'll definitely be back. And uh, I appreciate uh, your time as always. Thanks for coming on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, hey, thanks for having me. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Austin and John. Always fun. Uh, didn't expect us to get into an Emmys topic, but but there you go. Uh, if you like these podcasts, head to the archives. There should be some stuff you like. We just had Karen Brockin and Hillary Mandel of Endeavor. Uh, if you want to know how deals are cut behind the media deals, listen to that one. You'll like it. Had James Andrew Miller on Pat McAfee. ESPN's director and producer of the College Football National Championships, Bill Bonnell and Jimmy Platt. Hubie Brown was on this podcast not too long ago. Laura Rutledge, uh, Joe Buck, Ian Eagle. Uh, again, there should be Ernie Johnson. There should be some names we appreciate and we'll be interested in. Uh, if you like this again, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. want to thank uh, my producer, Patrick Antonay, for all his hard work. And thanks to Austin and John for coming on. Thank you to Odyssey for their support, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.